This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merlin Sue. And we also have on the phone the TSO's music director, Elaine Trudell. Now, we have three, count them, three special guests joining us today. On the phone, we have composer Corey Brodak, and in the studio, we have another budding composer, Connor Gibbs, and the not-so-budding composer, or I should say well-established composer, <laughs> and professor at Bowling Green State University. That would be Christopher Dietz. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Hello. Thank yeah. You Thanks for having <laughs> so now before we sort all of this out, I want to take the opportunity to compose a welcome fanfare for our three composers. Uh, I have done this entirely out of sound effects from my soundboard. Are, are we ready for this, this little special? I cannot wait. Let's hear it. Okay. Yeah. This is my contribution to the composing world. Here we go. Yeah, okay. It sounded a lot better when I was actually writing it. But. Is that uh, music concrete? We call it that? Uh, yeah, music concrete. Let me make sure I got your microphone on there, Chris. Okay. Hello. Check, check, check. Hello. Yeah, that's a little better. That seems Has to it work. Has been a four minutes 33 already? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah check, your, check your headphones on that one. So that was my contribution to the uh, composing landscape, but... You gentlemen are about to have another great contribution to the uh, composing world with the annual Toledo Symphony Orchestra reading session. Um, I, I want you to, to tell me what that is, first of all. It, it's happening on Tuesday, March 15th. It's in Kobacker Hall at Bowling Green State University. You, you can find information about it on the events calendar, which is events.bgsu.edu. You have to scroll down to Tuesday, March 15th, and, and you'll see that event. you also see a, a master class from TSO happening that evening as well. So, Christopher Dietz, um, tell us what this is all about. So, this is an opportunity for our student composers to have their pieces read and recorded by a professional orchestra with a professional conductor and to uh, come away from their degree at BGSU with uh, with that in hand as they go forward. So, it's a very unique opportunity. Each student in the reading session gets about 25 to 30 minutes with the orchestra, during which their piece is read, rehearsed, and recorded, the three R's. <laughs> and um, uh, they have a chance to interact with the orchestra, ask questions, uh, receive questions from the orchestra sometimes about what their intent is, which can be a very uh, uh, excellent learning experience. Um, and then in the evening, uh, after the reading session, they have a master class with an established sort of master composer in the field of orchestral composition. Um, and over the years, we've had people like Stephen Stuckey, Sam Adler, Gusta Reed Thomas, uh, Chen Yi, pe people like that who are yeah. uh, really doing a lot of uh, great things in the field. And they come and they uh, witness the reading session and then react to it uh, in, in the in the master class. So it's really uh, a lot of learning in one day. It's a very uh, exciting experience for them. Intensive experience. And, and folks can sort of get a behind-the-scenes look at all of these works in progress. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a – well, it is a, it's a workshop, really. And to be able to see this, uh, to see how pieces – you know, brand spanking new, these pieces, to see them sort of um, come into the world uh, – and uh, to see that orchestra pieces, uh, e even ones that are well known, in a rehearsal, they don't they don't start out mm, shiny and beautiful. It takes time yeah. to get them assembled, and it takes an enormous amount of coordination and effort for um, the musicians and the conductor, and in this case, the young composers, to all sort of conspire to make this piece of art. 
Well, you mentioned these famous composers that are coming in and, and reacting to the music. Have you ever had anybody who, like, walked off the stage and was just <laughs> shaking, <laughs> shaking their heads? Oh, no. I think, I think <laughs> in, in any master class uh, situation where you have a, an established composer who has a distinct point of view, um, they're going to react in relation to that. So sometimes there have been student pieces that, that some of our guest composers have thought maybe didn't uh, pass muster or perhaps we're just not their cup of tea. Um, I think we, we do everything we can to make sure that the pieces are professional and that they are acceptable to the ensemble. But, you know, thankfully, uh, people have different tastes. It keeps, yeah. keeps things interesting. I think I, I put the fear of God in you there. Uh, <laughs> uh, Corey and, and Connor are both uh, probably sweating in their boots right now. And that uh, is that is part of the professional experience. I mean, you have to <laughs> getting dressed down by somebody who's established in the field is definitely part of what happens. Right? Yeah. That, are you speaking from personal experience? Or oh yes, in fact, <laughs> in fact, um, this this whole uh, event comes out of an experience that I had when I was a uh, I just finished my master's degree, and I was selected for the Minnesota Orchestra Composers Institute, which is a week long session run by Aaron J. Kernis yeah. and uh, the culminating in a reading session with the Minnesota Orchestra. And during that week, you, uh, the principal players from each section go over your, the parts that you've written and they say, okay, let's see this person's piece and they critique it and so on and so forth. Well, when I was uh, doing my piece, I was you know, incredibly nervous like everyone else. And we were in the percussions uh, session and the principal percussionist had said, well, we're going to save this guy's piece for last. And I thought, Oh, that's because it's the, the best, probably. <laughs> you know, uh, and then he said, "Okay, we're saving this one for last because it's got so many problems in the percussion oh, no. writing that I need to give you all basically a <laughs> clinic on how not to write for orchestral percussion." And he uh, then proceeded to, uh, at my expense, uh, instruct everyone else what wow. not to do. And um, well, you served a purpose. At I least. did. I, I, you know, I'm an educator, and yes. uh, I like to. I like to do that. So the experience overall was fantastic. And when I got to BGSU as a teacher, I knew I wanted to start something akin to that for our students. So, Connor, what, what do you think are the chances of, of you serving in a similar capacity at I'm, this reading? I'm going to be confident and say, let's say, ten percent. Ten percent. Ten percent. Are Are you writing for percussion? There is percussion in my work. <laughs> That's why I saw his eyes get really big when you started talking about the percussion writing, Chris. <laughs> but I mean, we sh we should you know mention that writing for percussion is not easy. There's so many different instruments and so many different ways to notate what you want. That uh, yeah, I imagine it's a hairy situation. And composers get very creative, which is of course what they should do, but they sometimes fail to think about the logistics of percussion. Yeah, they you know. The bass drum is pretty big. <laughs> you get up next to it. I get my arm here and yeah. my other arm over here. And, and they only yeah. have two arms. Most percussionists are the two-armed variety. Well, they got two feet also. You know, feet, could... feet can occasionally be useful. Uh, orchestra, <laughs> in the orchestral world, a little, little less so, but um, well, hey, there's I'm, always room for innovation. That is you know? my educational tip for the day. You can, <laughs> if you're writing for percussion, you can, you can uh, use the feet. Corey, you have percussion in your piece? I do actually. I do have an experience writing some percussion with two percussionists out of seventeen, and they were uh, overpowering the ensemble a little bit. So was that a matter of just asking them to back off, like balance, like a conductor would do, or or was it with the writing itself? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, all big collab. I'm losing you. Are you there? Corey, we lost you. Uh, can you hear me now? Well, I just heard you say, can you hear me now? That was it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's usually how it works. Can you hear me now? And then, me? then you go away again, but let's try. Yeah, it's a bit of both. I think it's just one big collaboration between uh, all the conductors, performers, and composer. But I think I can really only focus on what I'm doing right before, so I need to hone in and get a little bit better at writing percussion. I mean, Chris, in your experience, uh, what what 
instrument or instrumentation is the most difficult for a young composer and you know what what takes the longest for them to master would you say um well, i imagine harp. it depends on the person harp. Yeah. well harp, oh, is, the harp. A, is a uniquely difficult uh opportunity in the orchestra i mean it's a fantastic marvelous sound but does it has such a unique setup with pedals and yeah. um, and it's it's soft so you have to kind of compose around it um but it's it, that the rewards are great if you can do it um well we often hear the harp and don't realize it's there you know it, it becomes a, a part of the sort of the backbone of the orchestra or gives it a little more oh yeah you know it's similar to what the piano does but much more subtle right i mean it's, it's a wonderful wonderfully colorful instrument it's absolutely I, I believe it's just absolutely necessary in an orchestra it's yeah i, I love it but but composing for it takes some time to understand how it fits in. Um, we mentioned percussion. I would say French horn can be challenging as it is oh. a kind of mediator between the brass woodwinds and sometimes strings, you know, cellos and things like that. The horn kind of gets involved in everything in the orchestra, especially if you're a 19th century German in particular. <laughs> but uh, they they tend to uh, they tend to have to coordinate with a lot of different people their, their bells face backwards uh they're always transposing and um and they miss a lot of notes because they're playing high in the harmonic series they're playing high on their instrument to start with so they're, they're sort of inherently slippery uh <laughs> so writing for that and understanding what's going to work and what's not going to work that again is a can be a bit of a crapshoot well you're married to a french hornist so i imagine there's a, a whole tapestry there of, that's of- right <laughs> of things going on. Um, yeah, that's great. So, uh, Elena Merwin, we've got you on the phone too, and I want to get your perspectives. Uh, when, when Chris started talking about this composer readings concert, he said, you know, we get a professional conductor, and you are the professional conductor this time around, Elaine. So, <laughs> yes. talk a little bit about yeah. your role in these concerts, because you're working with, you know, essentially an unfinished kind of piece you're giving your reaction your what do you see as your primary role in these uh, workshops well i try to to guide people and to maybe uh, making suggestions sometimes but i think the first thing i need to do is to be at the service of the composer as uh, you know try to serve as much as i would serve uh, for beethoven uh, and and just really try to get the point across that they're trying to make with this. Sometimes when it's there, I, I don't know each of the five personally, but um, sometimes when it's your first orc, a big orchestra piece where you have a lot of forces, you know, people have a tendency to uh, put everything and the kitchen sink in it. So uh, <laughs> maybe sometimes less is more, but uh, we, we have to learn about that. But that. Uh, I saw some of those. I mean, I saw I'm learning them. By the way, Connor, you might want to check one before B, your switch between uh, vibraphone and crotal. Uh, uh, <laughs> you have one beat to change between the two instruments. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, oh, well. <laughs> no, no, I, no, Te- no, but just, you know, I, I learned the music. so <laughs> Teachable but, moment. Uh, well, there's your 10%. There. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> yeah, that's your, that's your one percussion foible right there. I see his, We're his, keeping a tally. Yeah, I see his fortitude crumbling before us right now. <laughs> 15%. Well, when they say professional conductor, I mean, you know, just somebody who's who's really uh, used to doing a lot of this, I guess. I mean, because, you know, they have a fantastic conductor at the university. That's not a problem. But uh, it's good to bring somebody else. I think the idea is to have, first of all, professional orchestra is the most important thing because you need people who can sight read this, you know. And uh, when you're in school, it's not because your level is not great. It's just that the gymnastics that you have in school is usually you have many weeks to prepare something. And for us, we have like a day or two to prepare something. Sometimes we play the thing right after we read it in a concert. You know, so we, we're used to that kind of thing. And the people in the orchestra have a lot of experience in different kind of languages, you know. It's like each composer, it's like if each composer has their own language, but there's also the different languages around the different eras of music and so when, when you've been playing for a very long time and you've read a lot of music, then you're kind of more fluent in many different languages. So for, for myself and for a musician, I think we can we can be helpful in that way because uh, we know that. And um, 
basically to try to, to serve them as best we can. Uh, I'm not, uh, I was making, a, I, it was a joke because, you know, like uh, Connor setting up, set them up. So I said, we got to knock them down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But, but, but don't, but don't worry guys. I, I'm, I'm very nice. <laughs> uh, it, but um, it, it's true. I, everything that Chris said is, is true. I, I don't believe that we, anyway, we try in our orchestra not to be uh, that, that, that old mentality of saying that, uh, you know, a very young composer. I've seen that so many times. Yeah, it's kind of, I don't know why it's kind of a, it wasn't fashion to humiliate young composers and, and that, that's not the goal, you know. So, uh, we, I, I read the, I'm studying right now all the scores and there's some really beautiful stuff in there and they all have different things to say. I mean, for, for me, as a, as if I were somebody who didn't know much about music and wanted to know a little bit how it, how it works in the kitchen, you know, I'd come to one of those readings, even if I were not a musician. I'd say, wow, how do they do this? How do they get this together? I mean, it's a short time. I'd like to spend entire rehearsal on, on each of them. But, you know, we, we have the time that we have. And, uh, and I'm very lucky to be leading an orchestra that's very dedicated to whatever music they're playing that week. So, uh, you know, as you know, Toledo Symphony, we play all kinds of music, all styles of music. And each time it's like if the... The composer is listening every time, you know, dead or alive. So we're like really focused all the time. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Merwin, you want to jump in there? Sure. I think first and foremost, I think it's very important that the Toledo Symphony tries to keep its composers alive at the end of these meeting <laughs> sessions. So, so let, let, let's just let's, let's eliminate It's kind of like raising children. You keep them alive and, you know, you've done your job. I'll take it from there. Yeah. But I think I think one of the one of the amazing things about um, kind of the intersection of the world of composition and the world of the orchestra is this really um, it's almost this jarring disparity between the way time works and all of a sudden uh, it's it's an incredibly uh, stressful and difficult thing for for Chris to organize and put together. We're having five works that are being read, rehearsed, recorded in a very short amount of time. But so much of the way the professional orchestra world is, is like this. An immense amount of planning goes on behind the scenes. And then you come to this particular session and every single minute needs to be accounted for. And, and it's, I think, an incredibly instructive experience for composers to realize that this sort of world is kind of a microcosm of the way the orchestra world works. And so you get to realize, oh, this particular detail does not, does not serve the, the orchestra rehearsal process because the way it was notated just takes, you know, five minutes longer to explain. And then if I had done this, oh, that would have saved five minutes. And it, it's, it's one of those really kind of eye-opening moments when you're going, oh, so that's why Rimsky-Korsakov did all of these wonderful things, because <laughs> because they sound almost as good. And my gosh, they're so much easier for the orchestra to do. And yeah. so, um, but I've, I've, it's, it's amazing because Chris brought this list of com- composers who we've worked with, and I'm remembering some of these names and some of these pieces and remembering some of these talents and actually where you, uh, uh, it's almost a full circle thing because almost the very the the very last name on this list from a while back is somebody we actually commissioned for a piece coming up. So yeah. so it's just this really cool full circle moment. I'm really excited. Now, um, on a scale of one to ten, and and you guys have to be honest, Connor and Corey, Corey Brodak and Connor Gibbs, two of the uh, young composers that are going to be appearing on this concert, their music. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you guys, truthfully, to to have your music performed by the Toledo Symphony Orchestra? Connor, why don't you start? I'm going to go with an eleven out of ten. <laughs> I turn the dial up to eleven. <laughs> Good answer. All right. Well, now what are you going to say, Corey? I mean, after that, say like four and a half. That's really funny. <laughs> well, I think I have to one up Connor, and I'll say it's probably a, a twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But I, <laughs> it's an auction now. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, all I heard in that entire sentence was something about deodorant. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, oh, yeah, I'll be sweating a lot. 
Okay. You'll be sweating. I mean, you know, but Chris, I think you would say that this is all a learning experience and that you guys all want the same thing, basically. Yeah. We, we, it's, it, I mean, Alain is right. You know, um, embarrassing young composers is not the, the point yeah. <laughs> any, anymore. Except for the podcast. Yeah, except right. for the podcast, yeah. Um, Exclusive content we, 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 these composers have something to say, um, but there is no, um, there's no way to really practice being in front of a group of people scrutinizing your work. Just like for a conductor, there's, <laughs> There's no, there's no way to practice being on the podium except being on the podium, you know, and, and having everyone yeah. look at you and say, what, what next? What do we do next? Well, you know? I mean, we're, we're giving them a little practice through this, uh, through this podcast today. <laughs> so, you know, you guys already have a step up on what to expect. You, you got it. You got it here first, right? Yeah. I mean, you can get your, your parts written out perfectly and you can make sure your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. But once you get it in front of 72 people and a conductor, yeah, you know, things can go all sorts of directions. And yeah, that's, totally. But it's in, a, it's in a sort of safe setting of a, of a workshop. I it think. sounds uh, exciting. There's a lot of um, drama yeah. <laughs> involved. Yes. They should can make I it. add a little something? Please. I, I absolutely... Uh, and an agreement and support uh, what Chris just said is like you know you don't have access to the instrument. That's the thing that conductors and composers have in common very often. That yes, you have access to you know they hear it in their head, and you at the end of the day, our job is to recreate the imaginations that they they have, and it's not to to critique that one thing. Oh well, it's not done like this sometimes. Well, maybe it's maybe it's an idea that we can do it that way now. You know, we have to open that and 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 for them to have access to to the the, the full instrument of the orchestra is is something that the, that's why I said you know that nah, it would be great if we had longer because that then you can have an experiment. But at the same time, it's the same time as a same thing as a conductor. It's not the time to experiment when you're there. So you need to have like figured it out a little bit. Like I remember when I was. When I was in school, we'd, uh, we'd go to composition class. I'm sure you do exactly the same, Chris. Like, we'd bring in uh, a player. I would I was often the, the player that was brought in for, for brass or for trombone in the composition class of Gilles Tremblay mm -hmm. and the Consultant Montreal. And then everybody would like pick apart what I can do. Can you do this? What about this? How do you feel about that? And then they added in the orchestra, and they tried to go, you know, within the limits, but stretching a little bit. If, you know, at the time that Tchaikovsky wrote his violin concerto, everybody said that it was crap, it was unplayable. When Sibelius wrote his violin concerto, people would, ah, you know, there's so many. When Mahler wrote his symphonies, people were going like, are you crazy? We're not, we can't play that, we're not going to play that. So the, the fact that they push the envelope a little bit, it makes orchestras better. It's like a, a circle, mm -hmm. you know. You need composers to push the envelope a little bit. I mean, of course, with great skills. But the, it needs to be there because it's if there's no composers, there's no need to have an orchestra, right? Yeah. So it's very important to support them in their development. That was your pep talk, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you very gun. much, Maestro. I want to take a little break and do uh, one of our quizzes here to Ooh. sort of lighten the mood a little bit and, and recalibrate. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I just want to mention that we've got a whole bunch of guests on the program today. We have Christopher Dietz, who is a wonderful composer, whose work we're going to listen to a little bit later has been done by uh, many ensembles, including Toledo Symphony. And that's what we're going to hear. We also have uh, two young composers, Connor Gibbs and Corey Brodak, who are here with us. And we have Elaine Trudell. This is all because of the upcoming composer readings with the Toledo Symphony, where they uh, play music by these young composing students. And uh, this is happening on Tuesday, March 15th. Uh, find more information at the events calendar, events.bgsu.edu. Just scroll down to the date, Tuesday, March 15th. Okay, this quiz is called the Mad Composer Quiz. Nice. And I'm going to give you three clues, and you have to name that mentally ill composer, okay? <laughs> so there, there's no reflection on any of the composers here. It's a big list. No, well. well, yeah. I, and, and I've got some easy-to-guess ones on here and some not-so-easy-to-guess. 
I mean, like the, you know, go-to composers or people like Robert Schumann, who obviously went crazy at the end of his life, but he's not on this list, just so you know. Okay. Number one. Oh, actually, I have some music. Let me get some appropriate music for this. Okay, that sounds nice and mentally ill. Okay. This composer suffered from dipsomania. Dipsomania, which is like a souped-up version of alcoholism. Okay. Anybody got that? And you can say it when you know it. Okay. Plagued by self-doubt, they often wondered if they were good enough. Sibelius. No. Uh, <laughs> we were on the same page. They often wondered if they were... Actually, we were talking about the software. If they uh, were yeah. good enough. <laughs> good enough? Uh, maybe uh, Mazorski, perhaps? Yeah, there you go. Yay! That goes to Chris. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So that was Mazorski, Modest Mazorski. And if you've ever seen that, that famous painting of him made just a few weeks before he died, he looks like he's on the deep end. Okay. This composer had obsessive-compulsive disorder, which extended to counting measures and rhythms in their music. Another self-doubter, they constantly revised their works. They also fancied attending funerals of strangers Bruckner. and may or may not have tried to steal Beethoven's head. That, that's Bruckner. <laughs> yes, that was Bruckner. <laughs> Merwin. Well, evidently what happened, you know, Beethoven it was exhumed a few times and, and mm-hmm. in 1888. As all composers are. <laughs> <laughs> letting you guys know yeah. this a, is coming in your future. It's just too. a requirement of being a great composer. <laughs> and uh, Beethoven... I mean, evidently, he stuck his hands into the grave and, like, cradled the head of Beethoven. People thought he was trying to steal Beethoven's head. Anyway, Anton Bruckner, another crazy composer. Okay. (laughs) This composer suffered from manic depressive illness and often channeled their cray-cray into their music. Anybody got that? Oh, we got to bring back our our music. (laughs) Uh, Let's try something different now. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Uh, They had a habit of walking around Paris at night and would fall asleep wherever they were. One time they fell asleep for five hours on a table in a Paris cafe, and the waiters did not try to awaken them because they thought they were dead. Berlioz? Berlioz, (laughs) Berlioz. It's got to be. Berlioz. Now, did that go to Merwin or Chris? That was Merwin. Okay. Right, yeah. You can be modest about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Most people won't get that joke, but I got it. Hector, yeah. you, Hector you about that. <laughs> okay. Now, moving on. I mean, Hector Berlioz was absolutely crazy, and you can hear it in his, in his music. It's either manic or it's depressive. It's one or the other, you know? <laughs> Opium's a heck of a drug. Yeah. There's, there's no middle ground, yeah, for Berlioz. Okay. A musical occultist. It's generally thought that this composer had narcissist personality disorder. One time when they thought they were God, hence the narcissism, they tried to walk on Lake Geneva in Switzerland and preach to fishermen. Obviously, (laughs) it was unsuccessful. It sounds like Wagner, yeah. And, and it's sort of like mini Wagner. Okay. Scriabin? It was Scriabin, yes. Once again, that was Merwin. I got to read the last clue I had on here. One of his works was designed to bring about the end of the world. <laughs> Thankfully, he died before he could finish it. <laughs> so, I mean, Corey and Connor, have you guys ever thought of writing a piece of music that would end the world? I don't want to reveal that yet. (laughs) I have big plans. Yeah, how about you, Corey? (laughs) Nothing so morbid. I'm just glad to hear that you're still there on the line. (laughs) That's good. It's always good to try to aim for second performances, so that right, that yeah. right. apocalyptic right. symphonies are tricky that way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Unfortunately, it brought about the apocalypse, and that was the end of, I'm writing the review. It was right? a smashing performance. <laughs> okay, exactly. I've got one more composer on here, and an extra credit question. This composer, mm-hmm. oh, we need our music again. I keep forgetting. Okay, we'll bring that on. This composer famously suffered from triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. Yeah, that's how you say it. Triskaidekaphobia. You all know what that is? That's a fear of the number 13. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. They once changed the name of an opera they wrote because it had 13 letters in the original. 
Berg? Say again? Berg? Very, very close. Um, <laughs> yeah, go go back to the source. So that's Chris, because I was thinking of Claude Michel Schoenberg. Wait, say yeah. it again, Chris. Uh, Schoenberg? Schoenberg, yeah. Yeah, the opera Moses and, and Unt Aaron, mm -hmm. you know, he changed the spelling of Aaron to use only one R or whatever it was. So it would be 12 letters. Um, <laughs> just as he feared, he died during the last 15 minutes of Friday the 13th. Wow. In, in 1951. Wow. You just have to think how different the musical world would be if there were 13 notes in the scale instead of 12. <laughs> and we should say George Crumb, who recently passed away, was, what would it be, someone who is obsessed with the number 13, like loves the number 13? Yeah. Triscodecophilia? Philia, yeah. Triscodecophilia. It's all over his music. So wow. he just just owned it. Good yeah. to know. I wish I'd have known that before I made this quiz, because <laughs> now, you know, the extra credit question I came up with is kind of lame. <laughs> but we're going to say it anyway. It's never stopped us before, right? Okay. Can you name the composer whose biography contained the first mention of Friday the 13th as a bad omen, and who died on Friday the 13th in November of 1868? What composer was that? So I feel like this should be passed who are comp compositional students who should be paying great attention to music history. Of course. 1868. Yeah. Huh. Okay, any so answers there? Me? Corey, Connor? Yeah, what do you think, Corey? Rossini? Rossini! Yay! Somebody paid attention in class. Excellent. <laughs> Very good. Chris is beaming with pride he, he, over there right he, now. He lived that long? Yeah, 1868. I mean, he wrote all of his operas, his 39-some operas or whatever they were, um, you know, before the age of 40, and he retired for a long time and sat on a gondola in Venice and ate fried chicken, basically, and got immensely fat. So wow. that's where we, you know, have all those pictures of Rossini. He hadn't written yeah. anything except for maybe one or two pieces during the last 30 years or so of his life. That he ate so much, there's a dish named after him. There's a what named after him? There's a dish, I think. Oh, a dish. I thought you said a fish. <laughs> I was trying to think of the Rossini fish. But what is the Rossini dish? A tornado Rossini. Did you learn how to make that? Have you ever made it yourself? Oh, I'm still working on a student budget, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't gotten there yet. So we have the two uh, composer students, I guess. I mean, are you guys okay being called student composers, or do you, would you rather I call you, you know, master composers? <laughs> I don't have my master's degree yet, but Corey does, so okay. I'll leave but, it to Corey. But Corey's is fairly, you know, young in the, in the tooth, right? Short in the tooth. Can you say that? Is that an expression? Yeah, it's, uh, the ink is yet not yet dry on his diploma from Bowling Green State University, yeah. although he is— uh, in a DMA program, PhD program. Yeah, so you said that much better than I could have. But at any rate, so the question was, do I say student composers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. So we have two student composers with us and one eminent composer as well. Now, are you both, Corey and, and Connor, are you both uh, students of Chris, or how did that work? They, I'd say, well, they both were. Uh, they have been. Uh, we, we move our students around to different composition. We have four composition studios, so the, the composers move around and study with different people, get different perspectives. But I've worked with both of them, and, um, well, I can say they're, uh, I guess they're all right. No. <laughs> they're uh, spectacular people and composers, great to work with and very dedicated to what they do. Yeah, I'll bring in some applause just so we don't... <laughs> haze you guys too much. <laughs> now, speaking of hazing, what I want to do here, um, uh, Connor, we'll start with you. I want you to explain to us what your piece of music is and kind of tell us about it. And I'm going to bring up a little music in the background. This is not by you. This is just something to set the mood, okay? Ooh. I think this is an appropriate setting. Is it? Yeah, yeah. so my piece, uh, it's not meant to be descriptive, but it's just inspired by the concept of a black hole. So we're hearing the stars in the background right now of outer space. So this is your beat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit more uh, consonant, I think, yeah. than my work, but 
or at least this is the first movement, and then we'll hear the second one at the reading. Are, are you like a, a science fiction fan, or where does that come from, the interest in, in science? Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I have a good good thought, a good origin for that. It's just something that's been part of me yeah. for a very long time. What, what was your origin? When did you decide to become a composer? I decided to be a composer when I was in music theory courses. Music theory 2 back in whatever year it was, 2014. I just had a lot of fun writing down music. This is so inspirational in the background, I have yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I feel like I want to write a poem or something. <laughs> Deep thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pass it over to Corey now. Corey, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Okay, I've got different music for you. We don't want to have you guys talk to the same music, although this is kind of similar. Does this match the piece that you wrote? Uh, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about your piece of music. Sure. So my piece is a little flashy, uh, essentially about fireworks. So in summer of 2020, that was one of the few things that didn't change. A lot of people still go outside and watch them set off fireworks and capture some of that feeling. So I wrote a little bit of a harder piece. It's a little bit more bombastic, but it's just about fireworks. So I think it sort of does its job. Now. Corey, I'm gonna have yeah. to. I'm gonna have to ask you to stop for a second because you keep cutting in and out. Yay! <laughs> okay, we got your story in the books, both of you, for these pieces of music. And speaking of stories, I mean, Chris, you haven't really told us a lot about yourself. I know we have a, a piece of music of yours we want to listen to. And this comes from a, a tone poem you wrote called Car Caldara. Is that correct? Caldera, yes. Caldera, yeah. yeah. Explain to us what this piece is about. Well, uh, when I wrote it, it wasn't about anything. Uh, it was simply <laughs> a kind of orchestral expression of youthful vigor <laughs> and in search of a title. And then uh, it seemed like the uh, expired, uh, the, the crater of an expired volcano seemed to be a, a, a interesting image uh, to use that, for the that's title. That's what a, a, a caldera is, that's right? right. Okay. okay. So um, it was really just a, a, a vehicle for me to let some of that uh, youthful energy out. Yeah. Is there percussion in this piece? There, <laughs> there is, yes. Yeah. Okay. You feel like you had a bit more of a mastery of it when you when you hit this work, right? I'm getting there. A little yeah. by little. each Working piece is. Uh, yeah. One more rung on the ladder. Not, not yeah. quite at the level of your French horn writing, but still pretty <laughs> That's pretty right. great. Yeah, that all gets uh, market tested at home. All the uh, French <laughs> horn parts. So yeah, that's good. You have a built-in uh, resource there, mm -hmm. being married to a French hornist. Well, let's hear an excerpt from it. And and this is a piece that has a lot of color. There's a lot of energy, a lot of rhythm, and certainly in this little excerpt we have, it's about two minutes long. This is a Toledo Symphony Orchestra. Did Elaine? Did you conduct this, or was somebody else conducting? When I first heard the piece, I uh, <clears throat> I really fell in love with it. And I said, this has to be on my first concert. It was on my uh, inauguration concert. And uh, it also made me want to commission Chris uh, another piece for orchestra that was commissioned for before COVID, now during COVID. Now, finally, we're finishing our season this year with, with the new piece he's writing for us. So this yeah. is a wonderful piece. I want to ask you, Chris, uh, about advising young composers, how to make a living, actually, in, the, in this world, in this business. But first, let's listen to an excerpt from Caldera by Christopher Dietz here on FM 91. I'm going to leave our microphones open just in case our student composers have anything to say or share uh, during the course of this music.
That's the Toledo Symphony under the direction of Elaine Trudell, who is on the phone with us today. And the music is by the composer Christopher Dietz, who is in the studio with us today. Chris, you know, it's always fascinating for me to play music by composers and to sort of watch them listening to it, you know? (laughs) What were you thinking while listening to that excerpt? Uh, I was thinking... Oh, I remember scoring this for for trumpet and trombone, knowing that well, they will definitely be heard in all of this uh, in the noisiest bits. I'll be able to project them over the top of the the texture, and uh, there's a little bit of a echo, a kind of a cannon, a back and forth between the strings and the brass. And uh, just now, I was thinking, oh, I wish we had more strings on that <laughs> on that part right there. You know, maybe I under under compose that or over compose the brass. So. Always the technician yeah. at work. Yeah, always the yeah thinking about that stuff. Elaine, what were your conversations with Chris like in in bringing this piece to fruition? Well, the the piece had already been written and performed before. I heard it uh, through a recording first, and I said, "What's that? Wow!" And the thing is that it's interesting because I heard a recording of it. And I and I saw the score and I said, oh, it's not the same piece, really. <laughs> it's a, it's not it's the same piece, the same notes. But it's um, the thing is that you know I think it's because I'm kind of a I'm kind of a how do we say like a uh, part time composer myself. Uh, no, or I, I don't know what you want. Yeah, cell composer, whatever. You you are Frustrated a composer. You right. are a card carrying <laughs> card carrying composer for sure. Yes, high praise from Christopher <laughs> Dietz. And you also conduct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the thing. Yes. Why well, I, I, you know what? I'm a conductor who composes, not a con- composer who conducts. So let, let's let, let, let's leave it at that. Well, at so, least you're not a trombone right. player who composes, right? Oh man, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But uh, anyway, so seriously, I I saw and I'm kind of seeing through the 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 piece, and I said, well, the, the thing is that composers, what's lacking very often when we read their music, and we're going to try to do our best when we do the readings, but that's what happens when, you know, we don't have so much time. You, 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 there's many dimensions to it. There's the many, like, levels of understanding or the, how deep the piece is. And I went like, oh, no, this piece needs another another reading. And, you know, those readings that we're doing, maybe, you know, we look at sometimes, and uh, my, my mind is always scouting for uh, performers, uh, new singers, instrumentalists, composers, and all that. Anyway, so when I saw the piece, I was like, "Oh, I think I can, I think I can maybe do. We should do this again and try to tr- maybe translate a little bit better the uh, the intent of the composer." And that's that's where it came. And then Chris and I started talking about other things. And um, the, the commission is uh, doing first. I mean, we'll spend some other time talking about it in another podcast. I hope before we have that last concert of the season, but. Then we, we talked about, you know, really something we want to do uh, that's specific to to us. And uh, when that, that's a great thing with, com- with living composers. You, you sit down, you plan before, and when you're working on the piece, you, uh, you there's some things that might change. We just premiered a, a piece in Laval this week while, while I'm away, and the composer changed his mind on the tempies at the rehearsal. He said, oh, no, I'm sorry. I think it should go that way. Then we just changed them. Oh, wow. So how many, and, and again, come, come back to Mahler, because I would come back to Mahler, but you wrote this first symphony six times. I mean, you know, I know the score number one. There's the, the Mahler bell. <laughs> oh, I, I, I had to bring in the Mahler bell. I know Zach isn't yeah. here in the, in the studio <laughs> with us, but in spirit, so yeah. that was for him. But you know, now we, economically, the way the world works, we don't get to spend 15 rehearsals on something or to play it six times. Or So a composer needs to arrive so much more prepared than they did uh, 75 years ago, 100 years ago. It's, it's very difficult for them to, because they don't have so much time, they don't have so much opportunity. So it's uh, when you hear something as a conductor, you need to really pay attention, try to do the best. Yeah. So that's that, that's what strikes me about Christian music. I went, oh, we can go deeper into that. There's some pieces you don't see. It, some Well, maybe it's just me, but some pieces I just don't see it. I say, okay, well, it is what it is. But some composers go, oh, maybe I can go deeper in that. So that's very exciting when you see them. Well, see, Corey and and Connor, you guys are in good hands, right, when it comes to these orchestral readings. I know that you guys have guest composers. Uh, Chris, you want to talk about the guest composer for this concert? 
yes, Sean Shepard is uh, is doing a lot of work all over the world. He just had a premiere with, I believe, it was the North German Radio Orchestra, and um, he is not, does not uh, have an academic position. By I, I don't think he needs one. <laughs> He's one of these composers yeah. who is able to uh, compose, travel the world, hear his music, particularly orchestral music. And uh, and and continually refine, and learn, and meet people. It's, a, it's he's kind of living the living the dream. Um, there's a, there's a couple of others in this list. Uh, Andrew Norman was a com- guest composer here in 2017. Uh, he has held some academic positions. Most recently, he's gone on to Juilliard to teach there. But he's the kind of composer who's receiving so many commissions, big prizes, performances that, you know, um, for an American composer to be doing that um, in this day and age where, I mean, with, with like what Elena is saying is, you know, very limited uh, resources and uh, time constraints and, you know, spots on programs available. I think it's it's, it's pretty amazing that they can do that. So Sean, Sean is great. He will be... Um, uh, wonderful for our students, not only from his ex- level of experience, but but uh, in his personality and the way that he engages. Um, uh, Corey and Connor, let me ask you both: as, as far as what you want to do with your composing and where you see your your career taking you, I mean, how do you juggle a career as a composer and and somebody like Sean, who is working as a composer, or Andrew, primarily a composer? Uh, they they also have you know academic positions at least many composers do as well so is that the path that you guys want to take connor why don't you you start that is that is the path i'm actually aiming for i've been applying and working on getting into a doctoral program so that i could teach and teaching is actually something that i'm very passionate about i previously have taught high school um, before coming to bowling green and it's something i'd like to continue doing because I do, I do think it's important to give back and to help others along along the way. But I, I need some more training so I can do that myself. <laughs> but yeah. yes, that that's part of the plan. Well, you plan. you haven't quite finished your your degree at BG, right? You still have a few months left. Yep, just yeah. about two months. And Corey, as we know, the ink is wet on your diploma. But uh, you want to weigh in about where you think your future is going to take you. Yeah, so currently at Eastman, uh, working on my PhD, doing a little bit of work in the studio there as well. So teaching is definitely in my future. Um, but you know, there's a, it's always a lot where the mix is between composing and teaching. Okay. <laughs> we heard some of that. I but concur. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. You know, there's just stories, historical, you know, records of composers kind of going. It's a feast or famine kind of thing. You know, they get yeah. some big commission, they're famous, and then the next composer comes along, and that person's not popular anymore. You know, the acad- academic connection certainly helps kind of smooth those arcs. I could say. I mean, you mm-hmm. do have. Uh, you just it helps. It helps financially, especially if you want to have things like children. At least, su- <laughs> if you want to support your children. I mean, right. Speaking from experience, you yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, uh, Corey, I was able to glean that you're at Eastman School right now working on your doctorate there. And um, you want to have a great big academic uh, composing career after this, right? Yes, that's right. Thank okay, you. good. <laughs> yeah. You were cutting out a little bit here and there, so we just had to fill in the blanks. It's kind of like Mozart's coronation piano concerto, you know, <laughs> where he left the, the left hand mostly blank and <laughs> and people have filled it in from time to time. So the reading session with the Toledo Symphony is happening on Tuesday, March 15th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can find more information about it at events.bgsu.edu. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barbara Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. 
Remember, you can check out all the upcoming events at the symphony by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Alain Trudel, Merwin Sue, and our special guests, Corey Brodak and Connor Gibbs, as well as the composer and BGSU professor Christopher Dietz, who joined us today. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.